This is Talking Buildings, where we explore how together we can better design, control, innovate, and transform our built environment. This is Bondi Radio. Welcome to Talking Buildings. I'm Paul Angus, and joining me today as a co-pilot for this session is Sydney sustainability guru, Steve Hennessy. Good to see you again, Steve, and thanks for not wearing your trademark white shirt. Yes, thank you, Paul. Uh, had I known that uh, I would be co-piloting, because I did think I was just going to be ballast yep. for this in- interview, uh, and had I known there would be photos, I would have worn my white shirt. So, <laughs> Awesome. Our special guest on the show today is the founder, publisher, and managing, direct- managing editor of The Fifth Estate. Yes, you guessed it. We're joined by Tina Perinotto, who continues to play a precious role in finding, interrogating, and disseminating information about the built and living environment. Since 2009, the Fifth Estate has become essential reading for business people, investors, designers, consultants, government officials, and politicians working towards a more sustainable built environment. Tina's also uh, facilitated and spoken at a number of industry events, including most recently hosting Tomorrowland, and we'll hear more of that uh, a little bit later. Tina has also presented at the uh, University of Technology in Sydney and a series of talks at the University of Sydney. Furthermore, uh, and in November, Tina hosted a salon in London on climate bonds alongside uh, Sean Kidney, the CEO of the Climate Bonds Initiative, at the UK Green Building Council and the Better Buildings Partnerships. Attendees included Lloyds Bank and are represented at the UK government's Urban Regeneration Finance Unit. Tina's eye for news and dedicated following means that uh, she will continue to raise the profile and stature uh, of living infrastructure for uh, many years to come. Awesome. A very warm welcome to you, Tina. And thank you so much for taking a break out of your busy schedule and joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Paul and Steve. A very kind introduction. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tina, so to start off with, um, you carved off a successful and highly sort of, um, career in journalism and focusing on sustainability within the built and living environment. But how did it all start for you? Well, it started, um, I suppose, right back um, as far as you can go because um, I grew up in the country and I think like a lot of um, people, um, you know, very fond of the country. So journalism in particular goes right back. I think, you know, my mother was a great storyteller and I became obsessed. I think I wanted to be a reporter before I knew what a reporter was. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time actually becoming um, very passionate about the environment as well. So I had those dual... Uh, callings very early in life and Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't really left me Um, and um, so sort of going on from there and trying to uh, steer my life that way from early days. Awesome. So in your former role on the property desk at the Australian Financial Review I'm guessing that it would be a relatively comfortable gig and assuming I'm right why would you want to set up your own publication? Comfortable is not a word I'd use for the Fin Review. <laughs> Prior to that, I was editing a magazine for the um, the Property Council, um, oh, yeah? and that was a monthly, and I did that for six years. And um, I, I wanted to start a publication then. So when I left, I actually sat it all, you know, set it all up, mm-hmm. um, and it was going to be on property, of course, because I've developed a bit of a passion for property as well. I suppose that's the corollary to the environment, the okay. built environment, how we interact. Um, so that was all ready to go and then um, September 11 happened and I thought, mm-hmm. no time to start 
a publishing uh, public uh, any publication now. Better put that on hold. Mm-hmm. And a week later, I got a um, an invitation to come and work at the Fin Review, and I thought that's probably a very good idea for now. Yeah. But it is a very intensive job. Um, and I thought I'll do it for six months to raise mm-hmm. my profile a bit more, and then go back to the to publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so addictive; it's in- unbelievably addictive. So, you know, once I started, I actually couldn't stop. But even though it was extremely difficult, yeah. Um, so you know, you'd get these. Um, you know, every day they'd ask you what you had as a story, and um, I was doing some really. Um, kind of edgy stories I suppose um, it was pre-GFC and yeah. the people I was talking I was talking to were telling me there's some you know train smash coming in property and investment okay. and I was just digging deeper and deeper into that and um, pretty well every second story had to go to the lawyers um, it was lots of fun though <laughs> it was, uh, so it's adrenaline burning but then I also got a column um, to write about sustainability and planning and environmental right. issues, which is pretty unusual. So mm-hmm. I call that agenda yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with um, a little bit of irony there. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that every week, but it, you know, even though it was extremely difficult and challenging because you've got to be so careful you can ruin someone's life and every morning yeah. you come in and there's a little red flashing thing on the phone someone's calling and everyone used to pretend they couldn't see it for Uh ages because you didn't know whether it was a minister gonna you know assistant gonna scream at you which did happen Uh you know the minister did not say yes he did i heard him (laughs) (laughs) i've got the notes (laughs) etc etc but it was um extremely um it was lots of fun because you could really with sustainability i started to learn how the industry really worked Mm -hmm. so you, you know you'd write a little um He'd write a piece about um, Brendan Crotty, for instance, at Australand, um, saying that he was going to do nothing less than four-star um, ABGR. And so I'd say, what a hero. And I'd write this fantastic story. And so for the next <laughs> week or two, I was getting calls all the time to say, but we're doing this, but we're doing that. And I'm going, oh, this is how it works. Um, so that was great fun. Uh-huh. And, um, and then you'd get a call from... You know, literally once from the Environment Minister in Canberra saying, the Minister didn't like that article that you wrote. Well, it was very accurately quoting a visiting um, influencer from the US and he didn't like what the influencer said Mm. and said, oh, he'll be in town on Wednesday, so would you like to meet the Minister? You can put his side of the word. So how do you leave a gig like that? Uh It took me six years. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, can I ask you a question? Why, why have you called the publication The Fifth Estate? Is there some kind of story there behind that? Oh, definitely a story. Mm-hmm. So we were looking around for, um, you know, kind of names for a publication on the environment. We didn't, didn't want to actually have the word property or real estate in there, but it was mm-hmm. about the built environment. But even then we could see that the whole issue about sustainability was going to be broader mm-hmm. in the end and it was going to creep out of of buildings and planning and into human life and business. Mm-hmm. Um so we were looking at something that was pretty big thinking, I guess, and we went back to that um, French idea where they split the realms of power into different sectors. So yep. the first estate was the clergy, mm-hmm. the second was uh, the aristocracy, the third were the commoners, okay. the fourth is um, uh, the fourth estate. Everyone knows that's media, yep. and so we thought, oh, we need a fifth, <laughs> and that can be for all of us. So for mm-hmm. for all the people and the planet, mm-hmm. and that kind of summed it up for us. And then other people got onto the idea too and started calling, um, you know, social media the fifth estate. Okay. And then you got, you know, Julian Assange with the film. But we yep. were first. You got in well, there we first. Well, we thought we were first. <laughs> we weren't exactly first, but we thought we were. Yeah. 
brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And you've, you've become uh, the, the, the kind of um, uh, the go-to publication, I think, for, for people in, in, in property and sustainability. Uh, everyone I know reads your, uh, reads your uh, um, uh, paper, for want of a better word. Oh, we call it an online newspaper. Online That's fantastic newspaper. to hear. <laughs> I'm so charged. Get with the times. Um, but you know, a lot's happening in the in the sustainability space. What do you think are, are some of the, uh, the the big issues that you're going to be covering uh, in the next few months? Well, I think the the ones that really um, excite me and I think can you know offer the greatest um, potential for change is um, the way the big institutional investors. Um, globally are really starting to turn their minds to sustainability and climate change and issues like that. I find that the biggest and most exciting thing of all and that's one of the reasons really why um, the Fifth Estate is pitched as a business publication. You know we don't need to sort of tweak the hearts and minds. Everyone with half a brain I think gets that we've got climate change. We don't need to prove it. There's lots of scientists out there but the thing that is really powerful is to actually um, understand the business drivers and the political drivers. And to me, um, you know, Mark Carney is our poster boy, absolutely, the, bank, the governor of the Bank of England, mm-hmm. when he came out with those two amazing long speeches that he delivered to the world and said, you know, um, and the banking industry and the insurance industry, and said, you know, we really need to get our act together. Climate change is real. And what you, what you need to understand about the financial markets is that they are about pricing risk. And when they price risk they will do it very, very suddenly. They won't stop to ask questions. He didn't Mm -hmm. say that, that's me. They won't stop to ask the political masters what they think or what the coal owners think. Uh They don't care about that. They'll just price risk and they're off and away. Mm -hmm. And that's why I absolutely love... um, you know, the financial markets are absolutely obsessed by trying to cover them more. It's, you know, way beyond our capacity to do too much at the moment, but mm-hmm. that's our next line. Um, and we did manage to get Robert Harley to write a story for us this week, so I'm hoping that's the start of more. He's mm-hmm. the former editor of the Fin Review property. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the big one. Um, the other one is politics, of course. Um, politics, to me, underpins everything, and we saw during <clears throat> a former reign in Australia, am I allowed to... S- call them out, I think everyone knows who we're talking about, (laughs) Uh, where um, a particular political regime absolutely tried to stop everything to do with sustainability, ban the word green, ban the word sustainability in government, Mm -hmm. made us spell program with double M-E to to make us realise that, you know, we were still part of the British Empire. Uh Um, So we make a point of spelling it the the Republicans' way. (laughs) But we always have anyway. That that was just an anomaly. I think Australia's been spelling program with an M. But it's a symbolism of that. Um, And we also had that period in Queensland where you had Campbell Newman Mm -hmm. coming along and... um, and one of his ministers um, declaring that you shall not listen to the scientists about where you approve um, development mm-hmm. and you shall approve it on floodwaters, floodplains and where rising sea levels will be because that's private property rights, isn't it? But whose private property rights, I ask? Mm. You know, the one buying or the one selling? Uh-huh. It's very interesting. So mm. that's two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another one is actually... Um, one of the things that we discovered recently is that you know you go through lulls in any kind of movement or you know economic movement social or political and you know there's a period at which um you think oh you know we've we've really done as much as we can you know we've got green buildings we've got green star we've got neighbors we've got Mm -hmm. this what's next and everyone gets a bit bored Mm -hmm. and then suddenly someone comes along and says no we're going to go net zero 
And, you know, the first one said 2040, the next one said by 2030. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I mean, GPT came out and said by 2020 the other day. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, and then you talk to um, amazing engineers like James Murray Parks at... Um, you know, and uh, you know, he'll uh, and uh, an, arch an architect is saying they're working on two towers that are going to be uh, completely off grid, mixed use, mm -hmm. uh, residential and commercial, and they're going to be powered on human waste. Human you know? waste, yeah. Right. Wow. And you think, well, you know, they're still struggling in council, so theoretically, I suppose it's possible. But that's what I love, and that's what's so exciting uh -huh. is when you're breaking down the barriers and going to the next level. When yeah. you think, oh, we've done everything we can. Mm -hmm. I'm going to avoid the obvious pun about powering something from human waste. Someone uh, beat you to it. Yeah. They said I, they came in at the back end of the story and put a comment and said, "I predict this building will be SHI something else." Now I've got a burning question to to ask you on that, but before I do, just just to pick up on something, you 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 said you worked at the um, the Property Council magazine. Um, I believe our new Prime Minister was at the Property Council for a number of years. Did you, uh, did you know him? Oh, thanks for outing me there, Steve. I try to keep that under wraps. <laughs> I don't like to uh, mix some um, business and uh, private lives. Mm -hmm. Yes, I may have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, say no more. Um, in, in, in a previous life for me, I, uh, uh, I used to um, write some articles and send them off to the, the different uh, newspapers. And I was absolutely staggered at the number of papers that just print what I gave them mm -hmm. uh, as news. But there was one, one particular person I used to send things to, and you could be absolutely sure that she would not take what I wrote mm -hmm. as gospel, but would query it, and sometimes would come out with an article that was the opposite of what I'd tried to do. And I, I always remember, Tina, you were a journalist with, with um, uh, a, a lot of integrity. And so it's great you've, you've, you're, you might be frowning at me, but that was definitely <laughs> the case. Really? That wasn't there. It was you. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, you, you were one of the... Well, you were. There, there was one other journalist, but the two journalists that, that would not, would never take what I said and sent them at face value, whereas the others would. But anyway, that, that, that aside, um, that kind of leads me to, to um, uh, another question then is... is how do you avoid greenwash? Because we hear a lot of uh, a lot of sustainability stuff out, out there, and some of it simply doesn't add up. So how do you how do you filter this out? How do you avoid? Well, we greenwash? can't really. It's like it's impossible. But what we're, we're, you've got to sort of think. I mean, what is our objective? Our objective is to be a hub and a, a place for people to exchange news and information. That's what we set out to do. Mm -hmm. We can't be a rating service. We can't be a sustainability assessor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's just not our job. Um, so we do what newspapers do, and they just provide a platform. They have to rely on people's integrity to tell them the truth, and you have to do the best to find out that you are getting the truth. Yeah. Um, and that's about all you can do, really. But, you know, woe betide if someone lies to you. Mm -hmm. If you're a journalist, you know, that's the end of the story. And someone once did when I was at the Thin Review, and I was just so gobsmacked that they would... I was just so amazed. I thought, mm -hmm. how, what? I just can't believe that. Yeah. You know, like it's just so dumb to do so, really. Yeah. Um, but with greenwash, it's a lot more subtle. And I think um, you have to be a little bit philosophical and you think, you know, which of us is perfect and, and, and perfectly green? Mm -hmm. None of us are. I don't claim to be. And I remember a friend of mine um, did some work with us um, for a while and she was telling people on the phone, I nearly died. I heard her on the phone saying, you know, we're the... Um, 
the um, what did she call us? The watchdogs of sustainability. And I said, we are not the watchdogs. There is no <laughs> way. So I just quickly shut down that line of uh-huh. inquiry. So all you can do um, is you know take people um, at their face value and hope that they're telling you the truth. And if they don't, well, you don't forget it. Um, and the other thing is that people. I think are variable mm-hmm. um, so they're good one day and not the next okay. um, you know they have a range of behaviors within them and organizations are the same and the bigger the organization the harder it is to deal with because a big organization you know um, can I mention one GE for instance you know oh, well, you know they do a whole lot of different things uh-huh. and you have to work out are you going to promote their good things mm-hmm. that they do on renewables and you know wonderful um, exploratory work, um, you know, when they do other things, you know, that are negative as well. And you think, well, we're all on a journey and that's the best you can do, that we're on a journey. And with marketing, I actually have thought a lot about marketing and I think marketers, their job is to have an antenna to mm-hmm. the world. They're a bit like journalists or real estate agents. Their, their job depends on having very sensitive antenna and seeing where the world's going. And they'll pick up a trend and they'll go back to the boss and say, we've got to go that way. This is the new trend. Mm-hmm. And the boss will go, oh, my God, you're right. So they try and they may fail the first time, the second time, you know, but eventually they've at least declared a direction. And, yeah, everyone's going to fail. And I learned that um, actually when I was um, still at the property council I did a story on a brand-new building and I had this bright idea to ring all the tenants and ask them, how did this wonderful new fancy building designed by a top architect actually perform? Mm-hmm. And my God, the litany of <laughs> errors that they came back with. I can imagine. You know, the <laughs> lifts were squealing, there was noise, tunnels, there was mm-hmm. this wrong and that wrong, the temperature wasn't right. It was all wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the building manager rang me and just very patiently and calmly and very, very kindly mm-hmm. talked me through. Yep about what it actually takes to commission a building mm-hmm. and how hard it is yeah. and how it can take a year or two or three to get it right. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's fantastic. That's really important information that I've never forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's I what I think about greenwash. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could say something about commissioning buildings, but I'll, I'll hold I know, back. you've got a lot to say about that. It's very interesting. It's a, lo- it's a process, isn't it? Indeed. Um, when you're talking, you're quite enthusiastic about all all of this. Now, the, the, there's so much that we hear is happening in the world. And uh, just yesterday, I was talking to the, the guys from Brisbane. They're about to go to Hong Kong, but they don't know whether they're going to be able to go to Hong Kong because of the typhoon that's uh, that's uh, hanging around uh, at, at the moment. Um, so we hear a lot of uh, a lot of um, I suppose bad news stories about our environment and how we're not responding uh, properly. How do you manage to stay so positive? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, <clears throat> it is. Um, it is at times hard. I. Um, I do things that are a bit cheaty. I avoid reading certain books mm-hmm. <laughs> that are too depressing. Um, and we're actually in a really biased situation. We're completely biased because we get all the good news. Mm-hmm. So w- someone's got a breakthrough, a scientific breakthrough. They, they let us know we're getting it on the news feeds all the time. So we're yep. getting all the good news. And I look around and I see the bad news. I see the climate deteriorating fast. And every now and again, I sit there and I look at, you know, pictures of, um, you know, um, melting icebergs and mm-hmm. and typhoons and things. And But, you know, what can you do about that? You can't do anything. You can only do your best. And we sort of promised at the beginning that we would be optimistic. 
and that was the first, I think one of the first things we said ever online for the mm -hmm. TFA was to be optimistic. Let's yep. not go down the dark road. Um, and and I think it was here actually at an ACOM event oh, yeah? that um, someone, it was all about climate change. It was really depressing. It was about all the you know ter terrible things that were going on. Uh -huh with the science and I walked out and I said to someone who was an architect and I said, oh my God, that was depressing. And he said, why? And I said, well, look at all these things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, we're all gonna die anyway, so, you know. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's not like whether you win or lose, it's actually how you play the game. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's more important mm -hmm. that we do our best and try and mitigate than actually achieve the impossible, which is probably true right now. So do you think of yourself as a, a glass half full or a, a glass half empty? Mm, I do because um, I think it's in your attitude and it's a process, not, you know, there's no ticks, there's no kind of points awarded. And I think I finally, very late in life, I finally went to India and I saw the poorest people mm -hmm. smiling and singing and being happy and I'm yeah. going, oh my God, this is what they've all been talking about for decades that mm -hmm. I've not listen to you know yeah yeah and i thought it really is about how you live not what you have or mm -hmm. you know who awards you something yeah mm. Mm. you kind of touched upon it earlier that um you know you, you you're relying on people to be honest and you know when they're submitting articles and stuff but um you know you're obviously looking online as well and getting stuff and that's where you're getting your your stories from but um you kind of most of a like an extensive team of journalists at your in your business, um, getting the, the next big coop, so to speak. Um, but how much do your team kind of rely on, you know, um, getting inside information on something that maybe someone's been like a bit of a, what's the word I'm looking for, a whistleblower. So what someone's giving you a little bit of a, an inside sort of coop of what's going on. Um, and how difficult can it be when uh, a story's kind of pulling at your heartstrings, you know, from a, a moral and an, a sort of uh, an ethical perspective as well? How important that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, um, you know, we do have um, a team of journalists, a small one, <laughs> yeah. but we we call, I suppose, on a big net of people that are, you know, that support us by letting us know or sending stories, and yeah. um, that's awfully important because we can only do so much. Or actually, you know, we're not. That, we're probably look bigger than we are, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and. Uh, um, and so we do rely a lot on people's goodwill and mm -hmm. letting us know and they see us as their voice, I suppose, which yeah. is exactly what it's meant to do. Yeah. In terms of, um, you know, stories that I really care about, what what did you mean by that, Paul? Like sort of, you know, do, you know, how do you, do we follow those in particular? Yeah, we do. There's an emotional response. Yeah. 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 I was, I'm just wondering how it, how, it, how it all kind of pulls together, you know, like... You're, you're, are, you, are you relying on people to give you inside information you know, from a company and it's like a, like a leak, so to speak, and then from there you build upon it and start investigating from different angles? Yeah, quite yeah. often. And I think every time, um, you know, what our job to, is really to do is to talk to as many people as possible. Yeah. And the more you talk to them, the more they, you know, you get information. It might yeah, not be relevant now, but you'll think about it later. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of actually trying to throw the net out as wide as possible. Mm -hmm. And then you start connecting the dots. Yeah. And you start to find patterns. Uh -huh. um, you know, quite often I've got a daughter who's, um, you know, very scientific and completely the opposite to me. Oh, yeah. And she goes, you know, that's not evidence-based, Mum. You know, you're just, you know, <laughs> flying off again, you yeah. know, sort of making gross generalisations. And I'm going, yeah, but you know what, <laughs> that also works. Yeah. Because you're, you know, you actually can, um, 
you use those connections yep. to, to understand things and someone might tell you a bit of information that doesn't make sense on its own and then mm-hmm. later someone else says something else and you go, yep. oh, here's a really good angle or a new story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Everything falls in place. So just leading on to that then, what's the most controversial story you've ever uncovered and why? Oh, right. Well, um, controversial. Um, I suppose when um, that was in, well, in the Fin Review days, it was um, all the property scams, mm-hmm. um, which were involving the big banks. And isn't it funny that they don't seem to have gone away? Oh, <laughs> it's had a bit of a hiatus. You know, the dodgy loans and things yep. like that, and the big banks sort of, you know, hiding behind supposedly non-bank lenders so that they can do low-doc loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did searches on them, I would find that they were all the big banks. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. Um, so I'm not looking, not reading too deeply into the Royal Commission right now for similar reasons, as I said before. <laughs> you don't want to get too depressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I see the headlines. No, I, I, I think Rowena Orr is amazing. Um, now, um, in the um, in the fifth estate, we've tackled some um, some contentious issues there, and one mm-hmm. of them was um, a company that um, during the bad times, the yep. really dark periods, mm-hmm. sacked a whole lot of sustainability staff, and okay. that was really difficult to tackle, mm-hmm. um, and it was very hard to to do and to make the decision. But I thought, you know, we haven't launched the fifth estate for the reasons of business or to mm-hmm. make money. It really is. Um, I suppose a bit of a passion. Yeah. Um, I'd already had the career I was very happy with. Mm-hmm. So you know, you sort of make decisions about what does it mean to you. Well, this is more important than any future repercussions. So you get just go with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've done a few uh, difficult stories. I can imagine. Mm. <laughs> but you don't. You, not that many, really. Like in term, you know, most of our work is positive. Yeah. Um, and you criti- You can criticize. Um, people generic you know you don't criticize individuals Mm -hmm. you know that's not really fair it's about you know sort of trying to encourage the industry to get stronger and there's certain elements in the industry that um we have periodic goes at um and the sorts of people that um um that are holding back forward thinking and better rules and better standards Mm -hmm. and they're out there all the time and they keep doing the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. um so we keep having a go at them and we're happy to name them. Yeah, awesome. So just on, just on the flip side then, so who can I, who's like your inspiration, Tina? Who's can I inspire you? Journalistically? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, Catherine Graham, I suppose. She's the, the woman who inherited um, um, the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. I read her book very early in <laughs> many years ago and I was extremely inspired by that. I thought, oh my God, what uh-huh. a... What a powerhouse. I mean, you know, she um, exposed, you know, Nixon and all that sort of thing and Watergate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just, um, I think she's amazing. And right now I'm reading um, Tina Brown and that's a great, someone recommended it to me actually. Mm-hmm. So she became editor of um, the, the New Yorker yep. and it's called The Vanity Fair Diaries. I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Okay. I suppose they're inspirations. Aye. <laughs> awesome. Alrighty. So let's, uh, let's change the dynamic now and have a little fun. Um, Steve's going to take you through some quick fire and lighthearted questions to find out more on who the real Tina is and what makes you tick. And now it's time for a rapid roundup. So oh. Tina, can I, can I first preface oh, yeah. that and say this is the really hard part? <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that makes me nervous. Yeah. Well, uh, look, Tina, I, I didn't know that I was doing this, so um, let's see how we go. Tina, 
if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> Unfortunately, it'd probably be cheese. Cheese? Oh, I'm with you there. <laughs> oh, big failing. Tina, what's your favourite colour? Oh, right now it's orange. I just love orange. It just signifies just bursts of energy or something. And it's the same colour as the masthead. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> How did that happen? Actually, it's been orange for a long time. <laughs> so, um, finish this sentence. I'm happiest when? Sitting quietly writing a story, which is all too rare now, unfortunately. If you could go back in time, but only had five minutes, what would you change and why? Mm-hmm. I would change where I was born. I'd probably say, um, put me right smack bang in the left bank of Paris in 1930s. <laughs> mm. okay. Well, in that case, where's your favourite place to contemplate life's most challenging dilemmas? Funnily, um, in the country too, but not. Um, I don't get there very often. So on a morning walk, a morning I find walk. that really mm-hmm. um, very interesting. It's If I try not to think about my issues, by the end of the walk, I've actually got solutions. Mm-hmm. And I find that's quite magical. Yeah. If you uh, were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire hot seat and needed to phone a friend, who would that be and why? Well, I think that that shows about um, questions, so it's who would know the answers to something, right? So I'd probably phone my daughter, who's um, working on the Fifth Estate now, and she's got the most incredible widespread knowledge I've ever come across. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if you had uh, one superpower for just one day, what would it be and why? Oh, I really envy drones. <laughs> I don't want to see them, but I would love to be a bird and fly around the landscape. Yeah? That would be amazing <laughs> if I had a superpower, yes. <laughs> Childhood dream. Can you name a place in Australia and New Zealand that you've not yet visited but would like to? Um, well, I've visited the outback of Australia lots of times now, but I can never get enough, so I'd probably be looking for something new there. And in um, New Zealand, Queenstown, I think that sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. Excellent. What song would we hear you singing in the car or the shower? Um, The last thing I heard, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, things get stuck in my brain. Uh, Look, we're uh, wrapping up the uh, quickfire questions. So we started on a food theme. If you could rid the world of one type of food, what would it be and why? Hot dogs, because they're full of rubbish. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, uh, Tina. Thanks for being such a good sport and those candid responses. Paul, back to you. You are listening to Talking Buildings. Awesome. Thanks, Steve and Tina. That was great and lots of fun. Keep you on your toes and the audience screaming for more. Um, One thing that always intrigues me about the Fifth Estate is the groundbreaking articles, the ones that push the boundaries and make you sit up and take notice. Um... Can I just ask, you know, when reporting and unraveling a big news story, um, what has been the biggest challenge and what would you do anything different about it? Oh, the biggest challenge is um, time. It's always time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you'd like... I, I, I find it hard when I'm doing a story to stop. So I just want to get more and more information. So that's always a very big challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking to more people... Um, so what would you do differently is, yep. um, you know, you just make sure you had more resources so you could spend yeah. more time on it. <laughs> Not always achievable. Uh-huh. Are people quite forthcoming when you, you, I'm assuming you're phoning them up or emailing them or something, but are they, I don't know, if you're phoning a company or something, do you sort of get closed doors or 
do you get people that you're obviously sort of looking into get those those snippets how do you how do you operate um well i it kind of varies now you're asking me to give away a few journalistic no, tricks not. here but <laughs> <laughs> there's certain secrets we keep yep. to ourselves yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it is about finding information quite often it's not um the direct route mm-hmm. you have to go sideways yeah um in property there's um no secrets in property mm-hmm. <laughs> and when i was doing you know mostly you know a lot of deal stories and things like that just straight information the the best trick was to not to ask the people involved but you know somebody else yep. because they would have heard <laughs> and then yep. you could go around and verify it uh-huh. but in sustainability it's different it's a, a lot of you know it's a lot of opinion yeah and and thinking and um uh, you know, you've got a lot of claims for great sustainable buildings, so you might prod about why they are or mm-hmm. are they really or have people, yep. you know, met what they, you know, what they set out to do. Uh-huh. Um, and as I say, that's not, um, it's not always fair to, you know, just attack people for not achieving what they wanted to because, mm-hmm. you know, very rarely that any of us can do that. It's just important to have a goal, I think. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to let people get away with too much either. Okay. So it's a very interesting, it's kind of Plain something lane. you've got to decide every time. Yeah, yeah. It's not, there's no straightforward answers. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So in a, in a similar vein, ethics. Now, I, I, I wrote an article um, uh, a while ago that I just put up on, as a LinkedIn post, and it, it had to do, uh, it was a question of ethics. I've never had so many responses to an article at all. It was just uh, amazing how that uh, that happened. SIBSI, the Chartered Institution of Building Services Engineers, is is uh, very passionate about ensuring that engineers consider uh, and implement ethics into their uh, uh, everyday engineering uh, life, and ideally their their life full stop. What advice would you give any engineer listening whose whose company, for instance, might not toe the line from a sustainability perspective? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Kind of goes to the heart of sustainability, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's an eternal dilemma, I think, because you're a consultant. Um, the boss is taking on work, mm-hmm. may not know what's involved, and the client says, yeah, we might have had some sustainability goals there when we got our DA, but we want you to drop them now. I've heard of a lot of that going on. Um, and, you know, this is all about <clears throat> us surviving, um, and we need to put bread on the table. Um, so it's it's the eternal dilemma, I think. I mean, I've heard of um, the top architect told me that there's a list of building certifiers that if um, going around Sydney, that if they don't have to visit the site, they give you a discount, you know. So, you know, and dreadful things. I mean, another top architect told me he saw um, a building being built mm-hmm. without any waterproofing in the showers and he said and these people were, you know they were selling for two and three million dollars mm-hmm. they said sure enough residents move in and within three weeks they're stripping out the bathrooms and starting again wow. um and we've just posted a story today um mm-hmm. by someone in melbourne who's got obsessed by poor building qualities and Payton, who's got quite a name for herself now mm-hmm. um on you know the victorian legislation which yep. has been brought down to that basically puts the onus on property owners to to strip the flammable cladding off their buildings and pay for it themselves builders get away scot-free the developer gets away Mm scot-free same thing has happened in new south wales um and that's outrageous and she's actually forensically mapped where the uh the bill is publicly exposed Mm -hmm. um and then secretly clauses are removed and put in 
and that's what gets passed in Parliament. And it's just outrageous. And the same thing happened with um, dodgy building products legislation before Christmas last year. It was suddenly, you know, the, the good bill that the entire industry had approved and thought was fantastic mm -hmm. disappeared somewhere between the industry seeing it and getting passed in Parliament. Uh -huh. So engineers have to um, deal with that scenario. You know, they're in the thick of it, aren't they? <laughs> like builders are, like, of course, you know, yeah. anyone like that. Um, but uh, one of the talks that um, I hosted at Sydney Uni a while back was really interesting. Mm -hmm. There was a woman who did a PhD on sea level rises and how various local councils got sea level rise policies happening in their, um, their planning documents. And she said inevitably it was one person working away and pushing, pushing, pushing and just you know, trying to influence the outcomes all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think people can do in companies, just continually trying to influence yeah. by their own personal connections, their own personal politics. Mm -hmm. And I think they just have to needle the boss, you know, at, a, at an appropriate time without losing their job, perhaps, you know, because yeah. then they can't lose their job. They've got responsibilities to family, mm -hmm. but you can still try and annoy people. Yeah. And I think annoyance is a really powerful weapon. And there's, you know, <laughs> the soft version and the hard version. You can nudge them or yeah. you can embarrass them. And actually a top engineer once um, standing next to me at a, an event, mm -hmm. um, he was actually the head of a big engineering company. He said, ah, he said, you know, this climate change. He said, I just don't buy it. And oh, I yeah. said, oh, really? I said, oh, okay, well, let's, it just came to me. I said, mm -hmm. okay, let's, let's say that you're right, that mm -hmm. climate change is complete rubbish. Do you think we should keep business as usual? Do you think we should keep pumping out pollution into the atmosphere and polluting our waterways and putting poisons in you know, our buildings and our food? And he goes, no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> did he know who you were? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, he did. All right. but he was just, he was being, you know... He was do taking that, thing say. that really, you know, that, I don't know, that kind of attitude of, uh -huh. you know, I'm above all this. This is what children do, pretend that they care about climate change or something. Mm -hmm. He was being this superior person. And I thought, oh. well, have you got kids? I actually prefaced it by saying, have you got kids? Yes. Have you got grandchildren? Yes. Okay. What do you say about doing what we're doing? So if you hit them with pollution, if you change the story, yep. you get a different response. Because climate change has been politicised for some crazy reason. Mm -hmm. But even Lord Monckton, when he was in Australia, they said to him, he said, oh, no, don't try and do anything about emissions in the atmosphere. Obviously, he's on the payroll of the coal companies. But, you know, and, and they said, what about pollution in the ocean? Oh, no, we've got to clean that up. What about pollution in the water? Oh, no, that's, that's you know, we can't have that. Uh -huh. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So um, you've heard it uh, from Tina. If you're an engineer and uh, you care, just uh, become annoying, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and that will work. What, um, and you've, you've touched on a few things there, but what do you think are the biggest challenges facing uh, the industry, and what steps can we put in place to, to overcome these hurdles? Well, I think um, I see engineers and, and, and builders and that being very conservative and very nervous about saying something. And again, it's about you know the the really subtle. Um, the soft power mm -hmm. that is more powerful than anything overt. And it's about, you know, it's also, um, it's about what people say to each other in the boardroom. You know, like I've been at um, sort of some interesting meetings where they talk about what goes on in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's all about the alpha male or whoever could be an alpha female, I suppose, you know, and, yep. and people kind of, you know, saying, oh, this is the, it's like in a schoolyard. You've got the dominant people running the schoolyard and everyone else cowtails. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but if other people start forming their own little power centres and saying, well, it's okay in our world, in our little group, mm-hmm. to think about sustainability, we're not embarrassed by it. It's a strong yeah. thing. It's logical. It's mm-hmm. business-like. It makes money because you're saving resources. Um, you're actually, you know, you're avoiding being sued in the future. Mm-hmm. Where are the legal liabilities in the future when we put people in Western Sydney where it's going to be, um, you know, have five times extreme heat days in western sydney within five years no sorry four times extreme heat days Mm -hmm. within five years so the people who are building those houses Mm -hmm. and putting a growing population out there and some of them start dying from heat stress because it's already 50 there now yeah you know in five years who knows what the temperatures will get Mm -hmm. you know where's the legal response it all makes sense Mm -hmm. to, to be sustainable yeah so you've just got to keep reminding people that that's important and creating a cohort of um, soft power, you know, within where it's okay amongst the mates at the pub mm-hmm. to accept climate change and doing the right things. I mean, you, you know, you can just say, well, you've got to be a wanker not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the tables on them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's there, not easy. Tina, a bit of robust language there as well. <laughs> oh, you get annoyed sometimes. <laughs> um, the property industry, and, and in particular uh, the engineering side of, of property, um, is known for its poor record on gender equality in, in particular, and it's... Uh, Kind of odd. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here as a, as a, you know, a white-haired uh, male that probably represents a lot of things that, that are potentially wrong with our uh, our industry. I don't know, but should we be concerned? And if so, how do we uh, how do we change things? Well, there's been some really interesting movements lately to to change things. Um, the male champions of change. That's um, in you know in the engineering field, mm-hmm. and I think all those things are really good. You know, they have started to shift the agenda. They do work. When people, you know, they don't always work and they don't, you know, I hear that there's backlash in some parts of the property industry, but it doesn't matter about the backlash because that's the way social movement happens. It goes forward a bit, it gets pushed back, then it comes forward again. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with sustainability and climate. It'll get pushed back, but then it comes forward and eventually, you know, know, it starts to win. Um, You know, slavery... Um, you know, oppression of people, voting rights, all those things took quite a long time to change. And, um, you know, when you see uh, cultures operating on a more equitable footing where they have respect for each other, everyone just seems happier. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Um, And I think you just keep pushing towards that just because it's better. Yeah. Brilliant. I think. Awesome. Sorry, just changing the changing the topic a little bit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Tomorrowland, Tina? Ah, Tomorrowland. Mm. Um, yeah. So we've had um, that's our big signature event now, mm-hmm. and we just had one last week. Uh, so that was the theme for that one was um, our urban future and three big stories. Okay. Uh, sorry, our urban story and three big questions. And the, the big questions are, you know, we um, we we. We're part of nature, mm-hmm. so how do we build buildings and cities that are good for us? Yep. Number two is how do we finance them? In, you know, how do we allocate scarce resources? Mm-hmm. The pricing mechanism is part of that. Um, and third is the, the uh, how do we prove shared value because the social contract is wearing thin. People are, you know, get annoyed with the development industry and say that they're um, 
you know, being squeezed, mm-hmm. the density, they're worried about that, they're worried about transport, etc. So all those things have got to be tackled. Um, so that's basically our big thought leadership event yep. um, that we use as an, a kind of uh, a way to see where the industry is at yep. um, and see where it's going. And you do a lot of briefings and interviews with people ahead of time. We had more than 30 people speaking or being on the panels Brilliant. you know in eight in eight hours it uh-huh. was um pretty intense but out of that will come a book and we just learned so much about the industry and i think you know quite a few people that came to the event like some people were ringing up and saying that was amazing and i think oh that's great because you can't see it when you're really close uh-huh. but what i think it does is it re-inspires people yeah so they come there in the one place and they hear a kind of it's always bigger than Ben Hur. We're trying to cram too much in, I know that. Mm-hmm. But you get a touch, you know, little touch points about where the industry's going and yep. a lot of positive stuff. People uh-huh. are really inspired right now. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's like we've got a new burst of energy. Uh-huh. So we do a book on that too. So we do an e-book that'll come out soon. Okay. How do people get, get that book? Yeah, so oh. we share it with everybody. So yep. people can come or they read about it. Yeah. Okay. But where yeah. do they go for that? They just go on the website. The Fifth yeah, Estate. the website's all free. We've mm-hmm. got about, I think we've got about 20 e-books there oh, okay. that we've written, you know, deep dives in particular topics. And it's all free. We get sponsors to help us um, do our job and then share it with everybody at no cost. Uh-huh. That's and awesome. That's part of our thing. Yeah. And does it, does it, is it, I mean, it was in Sydney, wasn't it? But you, are you got plans to move it around the country? Or well, we'd it? like to, but mm-hmm. being, you know, sort of badly resourced, we did have an event in Brisbane in March called, mm-hmm. um, that was about happy, healthy offices. Okay. So it's about, I mean, when you think about it, most people work in an office in Australia and it's about partly getting their um, offices up to scratch, sustainable and healthy, but also trying to inspire the people that work, work in offices that, um, you know, through that sustainability angle, I think we can influence the way they think mm-hmm. and what they want. So we had another event called Mad Men for the Planet, riffing Mad Men and in brackets women yeah. for the planet, riffing off the um, show to sort of see how we can encourage um, people in offices to understand that if they put pressure on their bosses to to get a, a healthy and happy office, yeah, you know, it makes them engage with the whole sustainability movement. Yeah, of course. I yeah. think it's a powerful force, mm. our buildings. <laughs> I really do. Brilliant. Alrighty, we've got one more question for you. Um, so building services and sustainability consultants have a vital role to play, but what can they, and SIBSI as well, be focusing more towards to provide a better legacy for what we could all be proud of for our future generations to come? Well, I think all those professionals are committed to doing good for the planet and for humanity, aren't they, Steve? I think that's... Isn't that right? Isn't that part of their charter? Engineers and... You know, it's like a doctor. You're there to... You know, you don't quite take um, um, the oath, but um, I think most most people want to do well. Mm-hmm. And I think they do. I think most people I see are really well motivated, but they've got to create the political space, and by that I mean personal politics, to make it okay to be that way. Mm-hmm. So I think they just have to do that nudging yep. of their mates, you know. I think engineers have the answers. We've just got to be given the opportunity to yeah. express them. Yes, I think so too. Because mm-hmm. engineers are kind of the way that we interpret the built environment, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's the way it, it manifests on the planet. You know, w- clean water... Mm-hmm. Energy, yep. all those things—they're all in your courts, <laughs> <And> Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very important. Awesome. 
And, how, and can people submit any articles to you if, if anyone's listening? Is that a glory? Always. Yep. We're there as a, as a voice and a hub for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, our yep. minimum requirements are 700 words and that it be not self-promotional. Okay. So we have a section called Spin Effects there and it's yep. called Spin Effects because it's the pointy end of sustainability. Okay. Um, and it's about all our readers, yeah. Awesome. Except for Steve, is that right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Steve has not contributed an article for a while, so he's just reminded that's, that's me. That's because he got knocked back. <laughs> he said at the start. <laughs> all righty. Tina, thanks so much for joining both Steve and myself today. It's been awesome. Um, it really has been interesting, fun, and an enthusiastic discussion. Um, it's been a real pleasure, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. I certainly did. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks also to Steve Hennessy for being a good sport as co-pilot. I'm sure everyone tuning in will agree this has been a thoroughly entertaining and education session. I'm Paul Angus. Stay tuned in for our next podcast, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sibsy Australia and New Zealand production. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Air Conditioning, Refrigeration and Building Services organisation ARBS, which connects industry professionals, engineers, contractors and technicians. Talking Buildings is recorded and mixed at the world-famous Bondi Radio. This is Bondi.